Welcome to Unbounded, talks on growth in financial services. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Mike Parsons, and Unbounded is powered by Flowex.ai. Today, we are talking to someone who has traveled the world in many different ways. His name is Gabor Pajonni, and he is from Banca Etica. He has spent over 20 years in banking and technology, and amongst all his adventures, he even managed to fit in working at a venture capital firm. So he has done a lot, and we have a lot to learn. So get ready to dig into the growth equation. Gabor, welcome to the show. Happy to be here, Mike. Thank you very much. It is wonderful uh, to have you on the show. And I, I have to ask you, it is not often that I meet a banking executive who can say that they have not only traveled the world as a banker, but somehow also managed to spend time in the world of venture capital. And here you are reimagining Bunker Etica and the products the digital experiences and the innovation. I am so fascinated to ask you, how did you get to this point in your career? Tell us the story. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting in Santiago de Chile right now, uh, talking to you somewhere in uh, Australia, right? That's right. It's, it's, it's a very United Nations look here at uh, flowx.ai. Exactly, exactly. Uh, no, I actually spent... Uh, yeah, you were right. Spent more than 20, actually 30 years in banking, mainly in retail banking. I graduated in 91 in, uh, in Budapest as a, as a financial economist and uh, started working in banking. Uh, then I left uh, uh, banking per share and uh, became partnered at KPMG, but uh, I busied myself with financial institutions, advisory services in, uh, uh, in Central and Eastern Europe, any, anything between uh, Moscow and, uh, and Vienna. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, I, was, uh, I went back to, back, back to banking uh, as a managing uh, director of uh, the Hungarian subsidiary of, uh, of Banca Etica, the Italian bank. Uh, then I did many things, uh, but, uh, but the most important uh, for me and the most sort of forming experience in the last 30 years was the, uh, were the eight years I spent uh, building uh, a uh, so-called values-based or impact bank in Hungary, a small bank with a with a values-based strategy uh, that hmm. uh, invested and financed uh, socially and environmentally uh, impactful projects. And, uh, and while I was working there, I, uh, uh, the bank became member of a global alliance that is called Global Alliance of Banking on Values. Uh, with, uh, with, with banks from all over the world uh, pursuing a similar strategy, this, this impact or value-based strategy. Mm -hmm. And that's where I met uh, uh, my, uh, my amazing friends here in Chile, uh, the, uh, 
who at back at that time uh, ran a an impact focused uh, crowd lending platform. We didn't do we don't do equity, but we do crowd uh, lending and financing impact projects uh, in uh, in uh, five Latin American countries: uh, Chile, Argentina, Brazil mm. included, and. Uh, but that's, uh, uh, I was board member there and, uh, uh, and, and, and Gabor and Gabor, yeah. I wanted, wanted to ask you, um, it sounds like you, you started in a values driven, uh, bank that had even an investment thesis based on, on values driven, um, pretty early in the game, because of course, now we hear a lot of, uh, discussion about ESG, but it sounds like this was pretty early on and and quite pioneering. How how did you make that jump? Because it sounds like it was in the early days of values based investing. Yeah, I, I i would I would be happy to to say that because of the value systems I developed in myself, and uh, but that wouldn't be true. Uh, in fact, I had enough of. Uh, the corporate culture and the way of life in uh, in traditional uh, main street banking mm-hmm. and i was uh, looking for some more humane organization i can uh, i can add value as a banker to was and, it hard uh, was it hard to make that that jump i mean even though you were it sounded like you were ready for something new uh, was it just so compelling you could make that jump, or did you have some back and forth in your mind? Oh, it was uh, it was kind of a uh, a risky career decision, and mm. uh, and also uh, I would say my ego hurt it uh, a bit because of the feedback uh, my community uh, and my relationships gave me uh, mm. back then. Like that was like I don't know, yeah, ten years ago. Uh, that you changed your uh, position in a main street bank, and and uh, and 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 you know you'll you'll work for a for a bank that has one percent market share total assets in in total assets in in that particular uh, market. Uh, yeah, but I I didn't really didn't really care. Because uh, I I understood that I uh, I needed to change my life. How, uh, how did you stay strong in those moments of doubt, uh, Gabor? Oh, good question. I guess uh, having a couple of uh, intimate friends and uh, supporting family. Um, mm. Yeah. Because because obviously for for our listeners, if 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 you were to propose this switch today here in 2022 um this is like a fast-growing part of the of the banking universe values driven esg socially driven investment funds it's quite a mainstream idea these days but 10 years ago it was far from that wasn't it yeah yeah i think the 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 sort of the background organizing theme in my mind was that for many years I uh, I thought both money and technology is value neutral, and hmm. uh, 
but for like 10 years, I haven't been thinking like that. I don't think, I, I don't think technology or money for that matter is value neutral. So, so, uh, so tell us more about that. You think that you think there's a, there's a distinct flavor to it. It doesn't remain objective. So give us an example of that. Um, well, I, I even did a, a TED talk in, in, in Hungarian, uh, about that. Uh, I think, uh, And 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 I, I at this point and today, uh, just a day after Russia invaded Ukraine or started to, uh, you it, it's it's cheap to say that we are really living on the edge of the cliff, right? And it's it's absolutely essential for me to uh, uh, to understand the whys uh, behind every action, individual action we have, the why we buy a, per, a, a certain product, the why we invest in certain asset class instead of another or a certain company instead of another. Uh, and I, as I spent my last two years in venture capital, I uh, experienced uh, technology investments for the sake of technology investment. Mm. And, uh, and I don't think that uh, that is something we should do. I don't think that is something which is personally healthy. Uh, and I don't think we, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I have two kids, a 28 year old and a 10 year old sons. I, uh, I want to create I want to create hope for them. Uh, and uh, I had enough of making money for the sake of making money. Mm. Uh, I, I guess that's what I mean. And uh, yeah. So you have a choice to not only act in yourself, but to build products um, at Bunker Etica that are more than just a binary objective black and white product. They can be a force for good. And that's something that you feel you want to be part of your legacy. Sure. Sure. That's why I, I basically left uh, the venture capital world and, uh, uh, and traveled uh, actually moved to, uh, to Latin America. Which what, is uh, what an adventure, huh? I mean, do you know it's it's quite interesting as as you're speaking. What's dawning on me is that these big moves, these 
purpose-driven moves in your career seem to be a constant playbook, don't they? Whether it's switching from a traditional bank to values-driven, switching oh, yes. continents. I mean, this is the playbook. How does how does your family keep up with you, Gabor? <laughs> oh, I, I'm fortunate. I, actually, I uh, uh, to be honest, my wife initiated this change uh, after experiencing a call between Budapest and uh, and uh, and Santiago mm. uh, last year, August, and she said. I understood that you are going to be happy there, so I'm ready to move. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm fortunate, I guess, with my with my family. Yeah, well, it, very supportive. It, it's certainly very exciting to hear these stories of these big moves. I mean, these are not just. Uh, uh, a little um, a little maneuver on the edge. These are big, purpose-driven, vision-driven moves, uh, which is really exciting. And, and I'm, I'm really grateful for you sharing that on the show. Um, what I would love uh, to do is talk a little bit about growth. But before we do that, I just want to remind you, all of our listeners, that Unbounded is powered by Flowex.ai. And growth is close to the heart of the team at Flowex.ai, but it's also something that any modern banking executive has big on the agenda. And Gabor, you have had the, the good fortune of being on many different sides of the table, the retail bank, the challenger bank in banking versus let's say venture capital. But what's the shared thing amongst all of those parts is the constant challenge of meeting growth expectations. And I wanted to ask you, now that you start with, with Bunker Etica, what's the, what are the essentials that you need to do inside of an incumbent bank? What do you need to do to set up a growth agenda? And I'm really interested in, in what you would say how do you lay the foundation for growth? What does a bank really need to do at a fundamental level, at a sort of a DNA level? If they want growth as an outcome, what precedes that? What are the requirements and, and how do you do it? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I don't think I can give you a, a very creative or very fancy answer. I, uh, I think my answer to that question um, would lead us back to the basics uh, and not only in banking, but in, in our society and in, 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 in every industry. Uh, and it has a lot to do with uh, how my values developed vis-a-vis -vis uh, vis -vis banking and vis-a-vis -vis the world. Uh, and which means what I'm trying to say is that uh, going back to the basics would be clearly understand the value proposition behind every single product, every single service you deliver to your customers. Because I believe that most of the, uh, most of the industry players have long forgotten why they are doing what they are doing. Mm. When I started banking, uh, my first boss told me that, Gabor, you came to the uh, most boring of industries. We only have three products, loans, <laughs> deposits, and transactions. And 
Uh, and yes, it's an age-old profession. The Sumerians did basically the same things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but as a basis for uh, for for growth, I would always go back to the basics and understand the value proposition. What is the real value? Mm. Uh, behind uh, the, the the client experience we so carefully design. Uh, yes, and 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 are you talking about um, the value proposition in terms of make sure that it is a competitive product, a relevant product, or are you more talking about make sure this really helps the customer get the job to be done, uh, help them. Uh, grow their personal wealth, help them grow their business, or is this more uh, around a value reinterpreting value propositions as what you're really in the business of is trust or advice? Tell us more. Let's let's kind of double click and go into this. When you say uh, the value, what, what tell us what you mean? Uh, I can reiterate the 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 thought in in venture capital speak uh, as well. Meaning, uh, <sighs> mm. I one of the one of the superstar investments. I won't mention the name uh, of uh, of Portfolio. Uh, hired a new sales executive mm-hmm. with tremendous sales experience, enterprise sales experience. And on the very first meeting, he told me, you know, Gabor, enterprise sales is dead. Uh, the product needs to sell itself. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean on value. If the product doesn't sell itself because it doesn't create any sort of economic, tangible or intangible, I don't care, but any sort of value, right. uh, then uh, uh, and, and, and you need to uh, you need to use all sorts of sales tactics yeah. to uh, to grow yes that's that's, a uh, that's not the, that's not the that's not the that's not a good basis for growth that's that's the point so that's that's fascinating because what you're talking about is it's push versus pull the product needs to be so clearly compelling that it yeah. almost makes the case on its own it doesn't need to be shoved down the throats of customers. You don't have to do some Blitzkrieg style um, marketing campaign. The value yeah. it creates in getting the job done for the customer so sh- should be so strong and so clear that it sets the agenda for growth. Because would you then argue, because if you don't have that, anything you do on the sidelines, on the periphery, just trying to sell a bad thing. I mean, there's this great saying that no good advertising can fix a bad product, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. When I was at Banca Intesa, 
uh, it reminded me to uh, a, a discussion with uh, one of my branch managers. Uh, we had a new product, some, some uh, mutual fund product, and, uh, and the numbers uh, were not good in generating new business, selling the thing. And we sat down with a couple of, uh, a couple of branch managers uh, that was back in the early 2000s. And they, uh, they told me that, you know, Gambar, I have this customer relationships with a couple of hundred people in my branch, uh, I build my own brand up based on uh, sort of the honest process of advising them when it comes to investing their money. Mm. So give me a give me a good product. I will generate growth. But if you give this shitty nothing, I will not only not be able to sell it, but I will not want to because that would ruin my personal brand. Yeah. Which yeah. is, so, uh, no need to, you know, super to, to have a super... Uh, refined sales process in a way mm. you need to have a product with tangible value um, well that's that's the that's the, such a timely reminder when we're so caught up in the latest this the latest that trying to keep up with the competitive set what the lesson that we're getting from you is go back to basics um, focus on your value and especially just if if I may if I may mm. uh, bring up a story of a uh, of a, a, a Floax story, uh, I uh, I sat in one of uh, one of their sales meetings. I mean, uh, a, a, a customer facing a customer, and uh, Floax making a presentation about what they can offer to a bank executive. And after like 20 minutes, the executive said, well, if this, what you're saying is true, that this is the thing we badly need. But I don't believe that you can do what you are saying you can. Uh, so the next step is a, uh, is a due diligence and we'll spend time and money on uh, understanding whether what you're saying your product can do uh, is really there. If it's there, then we need it. So in, in, terms, in, in, in terms of uh, uh, delivering value, uh, that, that's what I mean on delivering value. Having a product yep. that, that, that actually has uh, so tangible a value to offer 
that it's almost not believable. Yes. Yep. Yep. Too good to be true, but it actually turns out to be true. That's almost the 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 twist, isn't it? Yes. Yes. And if I may, uh, if I can add a little bit of uh, macro perspective to this, I think. Uh, I, I believe that in the past two years of monetary easing and uh, in a situation where we swim in money and money is not an issue, uh, money that is looking for a return on, a, on an average zero return market, mm. this money can flow to so stupid zero or negative value uh, technology propositions and ideas and products that will turn out to be irrelevant, totally irrelevant. Mm. So uh, the job of a, of a, of a of a venture capitalist became actually more difficult in these monetary easing times mm. because when you are you, you, you have a, you have an incentive to spend money you will make more mistake in right. in predicting the future than uh, uh, when you have uh, yes. scarce resources, I guess. It's what, it's what we hear. There's a lot of money on the sidelines, a lot of money looking for a home, a lot of money looking for a return. And uh, it has to be deployed because if you keep it in the bank, we also know that the interest rates are so low. Um, and particularly with inflation coming, I think there'll be even greater pressure uh, to deploy capital and get that return, even just to keep up with, with inflation. Yes, well, this brings us now to some some of the dynamics in the marketplace that we that we mentioned, and um, I just want to remind everybody that if you are interested in all the things we're learning from Gabor, um, finding out about some of these marvelous and adventurous career changes, if you want to get back to basics on the value proposition, you can learn about all of that and so much more at unbounded.flowx.ai, where you can get our show notes, you can get all the links to the different things that we're talking about. So that's unbounded.flowx.ai. Well, turning our minds towards the competitive landscape, I think, Gabo, it's very interesting that so much of the conversation um, is about what, what is new from the new banks, the new offers, the new competitors, uh, the fintechs, the neobanks, and so on and so forth. And what gets left behind and certainly what gets left out of the conversation is, well, what do traditional banks, what do incumbent banks have to offer the world? And I'm very interested in your take, having worked on both sides, on the, on the challenger, on the incumbent, in banking, in venture capital, when you look at the traditional bank, what's the value they're sitting on and what are the strengths should you, would you want to remind traditional banking executives of? Don't forget, you guys do this well. What's the answer, Gabor? Mm. 
Uh, I would I would start by uh, by uh, telling you that I I'm a bit disappointed with the magnitude of disruption the fintech arena just brought on to the table in the past couple of years. Mm. Uh, I. Uh, I want to qualify my my opinion because there are areas uh, where fintech companies uh, actually improved uh, uh, the the uh, customer experience tremendously mm-hmm. and posing a real challenge to uh, uh, to incumbent banks. But if we separate the payment function from the intermediary function uh, and uh, and and def- define the sort of the banking business as a combination of the two mm-hmm. i think the fintechs posed more the fintechs disrupted more the uh, the sort of the payment function mm-hmm. and the, exactly and did very uh, uh, not, I wouldn't say badly, but not very effectively uh, the the uh, the intermediary function. So the alternative lenders yes. or peer to peer risk managers, uh, I think they they haven't really disrupted the thing. Could could we say, Gabor, um, just to say it differently, and I want to make sure that I'm I'm tracking with this. I think this is quite a big insight. You're almost saying, look, fintechs have come along and disrupted transaction. But when we talk about advisory, when we talk about these value-added, yep, risk management, all those sorts of topics, actually their role and disruption has been really insignificant compared to that in the transactional payment space. Yes, that's that's what I'm saying, and that would lead me to answering your uh, your question of uh, of what uh, what the incumbent banks have, what the what the fintechs don't, mm. and I think they have a number of things. Predominantly, they have an age-old understanding and tradition of credit risk. Yes. Uh, and the data and the processes and the mindset and uh, people uh, and uh, and not just individual banks but the but the whole ecosystem with regulators with sharing information with data with, with credit bureaus and and whatnot. Uh, so I think the core function of a bank naming credit risk management uh, is still done uh, much better by the incumbent organizations, the incumbent banks uh, and, and and financial institutions than the fintechs. Correct. Uh, and, and we'll certainly see how things go as some of these fintechs actually do acquire banking licenses giving them the opportunity to play in the in the risk game let's let's see how they do there huh and isn't that a sort of a i, I don't know a paradox maybe but certainly a funny situation but that you have a bunch of uh, 
a bunch of disruptors and revolutionaries who, after a number of years of their life, finally apply for a banking license. Uh, I, I find, yeah, I find it uh, paradoxical to be honest. Uh, so the the th that would be my first comment that the fintech uh, the fintech world uh, have not lived up to the up to the the challenge of disrupting the financial system of the planet. I don't I don't think they they have. Mm -hmm. um, that okay, and the incumbent banks uh, having this ages-old uh, experience in credit risk management, they also have. Uh, uh, let's be fair; they also have this protecting, protecting fans of uh, regulatory. Uh, uh, of regulation, right? Mm. Mm. So they they are protected as they are regulated, uh, and and obviously they have huge resources. They are sitting on a talent pool. They are sitting on money. They are sitting on. Uh, a huge, I would say, loyal customers, but uh, a pool of loyal customers. But even if these this this loyalty uh, doesn't have a positive at, uh, attribute to it, mm -hmm. but but these customers are pretty much trapped based on. Uh, their behavior based on their perceptions, whatever. But uh, this loyal customer base, together with the regulatory protection uh, of uh, of their markets, their expertise in in uh, in in the basic functions of uh, of of. Uh, Financial intermediation, namely credit risk management. Uh, I think they have, uh, with all this, their real resource is time, I guess. Interesting. Interesting. So they have time to actually develop. Uh, digital customer experience uh, that is uh, in many ways uh, similar or even better than that of the uh, that of the uh, that of the fintechs beautiful um, beautiful so so let me make sure that I've I think you may have just revealed a very very useful uh, thought here, which is, of course, you know, the fintechs have come along to set the background. They've come along, payment transactions, they've definitely come in and shaken things up. However, in the higher value advisory risk management 
regulatory compliance and resource overall, there's still a huge strength in the traditional incumbent bank, which therefore gives them time in order to transform their customer experiences and to not only challenge back to this incoming fintech neobank uh, uh, consortium, shall we say, but perhaps even beat them at their own game, Gabor. Can, yes. I, can I take your thought that far? Yeah, yeah, you can, you can. Okay. And, even with, and even with payment, just let me give you an example of my, uh, of my home country, Hungary. When, uh, based on a regulatory uh, initiative, incumbent commercial banks, regulated licensed commercial banks in the country had to introduce, had to introduce uh, instant payment in the retail payment arena. Uh, now, if I have an account uh, with an incumbent bank and want to send money to my father who has an, uh, an account in a different incumbent bank, when I push the button here in Santiago on my incumbent bank mobile app, mm. gets the, that money uh, converted and delivered instantly. Do I really need to have a, an alternative solution to right. send money home? Well, that's what, what you're, that example that you're giving is sort of, you know, transactions in real time, which is just a proxy for this whole question of speed, isn't it? And I think yeah. this, is, this is a topic that I'm very keen to get into with you because I think now, now that you've laid the foundation, it's, it's the, the three big R's, risk management, regulation, resource equals time. So how do we accelerate time? How do we move at speed? Knowing that as a traditional bank, you do have a legacy technology reality, okay? There is just still way too much cobalt out in the world for us to deny that there is a certain constraint there. So uh, I really want to now understand from you, how do, knowing that there is strengths for traditional banks to rely upon, for the traditional banking industry to leverage, the question is, how do they move at speed? Because this has to be the, the, the great critique that any of us can give to traditional banking. Uh, to give you an idea, Gabor, I, I often, when I speak uh, at an event, I will just go and show the income, one of the incumbent banks in the market, and I will show that in, in comparison to Revolut, how often they update their mobile apps. And what you will always find is the following pattern is that Revolut is working at somewhere between two to five times a higher rate of releasing either bug fixes or actually new features in their product. So uh -huh. I, th I think the question becomes knowing that you have resource risk management, regulatory uh, capability, how do you still move at speed knowing that you're doing this on top of legacy technology? Yeah, good good question. Uh, me being me, I would first uh, 
uh, elaborate a bit on the uh, on the notion of speed because <laughs> uh, speed and growth uh, because I I'd rather examine when we speak. I I usually experience when we when we speak of speed and acceleration. What we are really doing is is just whizzing, not finding the right rhythm, and of of organic growth mm -hmm. or uh, uh, yeah, organic growth or blooming. Uh, in a in an industry, uh, so I I wouldn't necessarily accelerate uh, things without actually thinking about the right rhythm of doing things. I don't think uh, that is something to focus on. But 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 uh, let me ask you this: I, is what you're really saying uh, is rather than just speed alone, it's speed and direction in which direction are you growing so it's more of a, maybe the theme is velocity which is the combination of speed and direction rather than just speed itself you're right you're right you're right and also another thing which is the which is lack of destruction uh yeah, you can say direction or focus, right? Mm -hmm. uh, one of the Floex guys have this uh, nice saying that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Uh, and I, I, I do believe uh, that uh, you need to do a fair amount of deep focused thinking uh, before you uh, push the gas pedal. Mm. Um, but, uh, I'm not, I'm not trying to avoid your question. Uh, my, my more, uh, sort of, uh, practical answer to the question is, uh, <laughs> well, I was, I was a KPMG when, uh, when the, the tagline of KPMG was cutting through complexity, right? Uh, along the line of back to the basics and cutting through complexity. Uh, so dealing with legacy technology would require this cutting through uh, complexity, mm. uh, but not predominantly uh, the complexity uh, of, the, of the tech stack and the architecture. That's okay. complex, convoluted, but I think cutting through the complexity and seeing through the complexity of the tech, techno, technology, uh, technological architecture mm -hmm. is two orders of magnitude easier than cutting through the complexity of the organization, the, uh, the relationship between stakeholders in and outside of the organization uh, when any sort of technological decision is being made. Uh, that's, that's my experience working in, in large organizations. So answering the question of how to deal with legacy technology and accelerate uh, the development process uh, and accelerate go-to-market with new digital 
value propositions. The, 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 it seemed to me that the, there are technological solutions in gotcha, many cases, gotcha. in, in many cases uh, super new and super creative and super intelligent uh, technological solutions like Slovax. Uh, but pushing this through an organization with so many diverging interests, opinions, uh, uh, understanding of issues. I mean, in many cases, uh, the I believe, for example, that for FlowX or the companies like FlowX, the sales process is nothing else than educating the client. Correct, yeah. In many cases, in, in fact, in venture capital as well, we don't really know the, we simply don't understand the technology. We are talking about technology using buzzwords and, and everything, but many cases, the decision makers who, who signs the check or even the strategic decision makers, they simply don't know what they are talking about. Mm. Uh, do, do you, would you say that a lot of people are lost in complexity? Um, a lot of people yes. are lost in buzzwords, too much noise, not enough signal. So if I just pause for a moment, what you let me let me see if I've got it right. You're questioning speed and rather reframing that as velocity, speed and direction. And mm -hmm. that the first starting point in order to accelerate, if you are a bank, is the removal of complexity. Complexity is the enemy. And our mission is to create simplicity, simplicity in architectures. And you did give a, a really good hint there. Search out the things that you can simplify with the best ROI. And I think you, you were saying, yeah, be careful on the people thing. That one's hard. But architecture, something that often shackles and, 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 and locks down banks, architecture of your technology is a, is a great opportunity for simplification. Would that be a, a fair summary so far? Yes. Plus, there is a parallel complexity in the organization, mm -hmm. uh, which a C-level executive who wants to accelerate whatever needs to be accelerated uh, needs to see through and simplify. Mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, by by actually the thinking deeply about uh, the basic motivations of the players. In in, gotcha. in many cases, that that is the that is the obstacle. Right, um, and and if you better understand those motivations, is where you're going with this. That's how you create the alignment. Yeah, yeah. 
because that then then you're actually getting the job done that serves each and every stakeholder's needs, motivations, drivers, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. But well, I'm talking are- about very, very basic things. I mean, people are sitting in uh, in in organizations, not just banks, sitting and doing uh, what would be called a bullshit job, uh, engineering a busy look. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and we, we, we have to stop thinking about organizations as rational, uh, as, as a kind of a set of rational uh, decision makers. Mm. Which which we which we all think we we all think that we don't think about organizations as a set of rational decision makers. But yeah. in everyday decisions, we do. That's that's my experience. And we you assume know- that the that the other guy uh, wants to find a solution for this technology problem and wants to accelerate managing. No, that guy wants to keep their bullshit job by engineer by minimizing the effort he's he's putting into that. If he doesn't understand the value and the purpose his 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 working or his organization or her organization is working towards, and just want to survive and go home six in the evening. You know, what's so fascinating? Yeah, maybe 5.30. Um, yeah. What, what strikes me, Gabor, is if, if I look at sort of your view on technology and banking, what's really interesting is you are bringing our attention back in all ways, inside of the organisation, back to the individuals, understanding their motivational drivers and their alignments. But so you are also on the external side of things, make sure that the product's value speaks for itself. And actually, again, if you look at where you have seen the opportunity for traditional banks in the more people intensive value creation, risk management, regulation, advice, and the very resources themselves, the people, this is where you see the value. So what I love is it's almost you're a humanitarian within the banking universe. You want to serve the constituents by understanding them that you can get the machine not only going faster but in the right direction. It's almost like human human velocity from Gabor. Exactly, Exactly. but there is... There is a theory behind it, I guess. And if, uh, if I may share this with you, I, uh, and probably back to your very first question of uh, uh, what are the essential requirements for growth in banks? I have a pretty clear view on that. And that's, uh, uh, I think that is good customer service. But, okay, thank you very much. But good customer service, in my view, is can be achieved by cons- 
by constructively breaking the rules of the company, the bank, the business model, by human people. I, I mean, human human uh, beings. Mm, mm. Uh, and that's something technology cannot do. I'm. I don't want to go into what AI can do, but I think good customer service is being delivered by people who can every now and then break the rules of the business for the benefit of the customer. It's, it's, uh, almost, you think, it's, it's almost yep. like what you're saying is just like your analogy to you have to have not just speed, but speed and direction. It's almost what you're saying is that if you think differently and challenge the status quo around customer experience and then deploy your technology to that opportunity, that's when you get the exponential results. Would that be fair? Yes. And I would cite the, this whole net promoter score uh, thinking behind it, which says if you meet the expectation of your customer, that doesn't really matter. That doesn't lead. That that will not lead to growth. Okay, what leads to growth is a positive difference between those customers who are getting more than they expected, minus the cost customers who are getting mm. less. Okay? Oh, yes, oh. surpassing above and beyond. All right. Oh yes, and what technology can do, what technology can deliver, is giving you, uh, in a very constant way, giving you, as a customer, the experience, what you expect. But that's the basic. That's, and and th that's the baseline. Mm. Uh, now, if you have a financial institution that has a digital technology in the background as to be almost invisible, that would serve your customer, 90% of your customers. But the growth will be generated by technology-enabled people yes. who can break the rules every now and then because so, so basically the, the most important customers you have, I always believed in this. I, <laughs> the most important customers you have are those who are complaining. And if yes. that complaining customer can speak to a human being and got his or her problem solved, not by a chatbot, but a human being who can break the rules constructively, then you created a lifelong customer and a promoter, and that's the basis of your growth. Well, Gabor, you've almost set us up for a whole new show on on. When, what happens when the technology becomes invisible? Um, before we we wrap up, um, I do want to give our listeners a quick reminder. 
All of the things we've just talked about, you'll find them at unbounded.flowex.ai. You'll get the show notes, the transcription, and all the links and good stuff that we've talked about here with Gabor and hearing his adventures. But, but Gabor, if people are, are looking to, to find out more about you, how do we find you on the World Wide Web? What's a great place they can look you up and reach out to you? Um, LinkedIn mainly and uh, bancoeticallot.com. Uh, but LinkedIn mainly. That would, Fantastic. I'm, Fantastic. I'm answering, I'm answering uh, messages on LinkedIn. Uh, Fantastic. Regularly. So there you have it, everyone. We have just spent a very, very deep masterclass with uh, Gabor Pozhozhny from Banka Etika, where we have really found out all dimensions of the challenger brand versus the incumbent bank from banking to, to venture capital. We have seen all four corners of this universe. And what I love is it's the human factor powered by the right technology, you know, getting not only the speed, but the direction together. So you can not only meet the customer expectations, but to surpass them. That is the growth equation. So we have had a masterclass in growth. Gabor, it's been so much fun uh, having you on. I would love to invite you back to do another show on what happens when the technology becomes invisible. What do you think? Ready, ready to do. I enjoy it. Thank you very much. You're ever so welcome. All right, everybody. Thank you to Gabor and thank you to you, our listeners. It's been wonderful to have you here on Unbounded, talks on growth in financial services. And all of this is powered by flowex.ai. So come on, join the conversation. You'll find us at unbounded.flowex.ai. Okay, that's a wrap. 